And we're in the Gospel of Matthew. So would you turn to Matthew chapter 24? Sometimes when I'm asked, um, do I believe in separation of church and state? Uh, sometimes I feel a little, you know, smart aleck and I'll say, yes, I do. It's called the rapture of the church. <laughs> that, that is gonna be a massive separation. And one of the things we're talking about as we're studying Matthew 24 is end times themes and topics. Um, you know, the Bible does talk about the rapture of the church, even though some people say well, rapture's not in the Bible. It is, uh, and it's really clear. Uh, it's just the word rapture's not in the Bible, nor is the word theology or missionary. Like there's a bunch of words that aren't in the Bible, but they're truths that we believe because of what the Bible says. Um, and there's a lot of words that kind of might uh, cause you a little bit of indigestion. If you're new to Christianity, things like the abomination of desolation or the millennial kingdom or the tribulation or um, you know, even the rapture of the church. What, what is all this stuff and what are we talking about? Um, well, that's where uh, the study of eschatology uh, or the, that's the fancy word for saying um, what the Bible has to say about the end times or the last days. And the reason we're talking about that is not because we're on a prophecy hype right now, it's because we're in Matthew 24 and 25, which is the Olivet Discourse. And the disciples asked Jesus, what's, what's the end of the world gonna look like? Uh, when's the sign of your coming? Uh, when will these things be? We saw that last week, last Sunday morning, we looked at those uh, questions that the disciples asked to Jesus there on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And, and so we began the introduction last week then on Wednesday night, we did verses one through 14 and, and just kind of looked at the list that Jesus said, here's the stuff you should look for. And then on Friday night, uh, Prophecy Update, we, uh, we looked at those lists that Jesus made there and we looked at the world scene and kind of compared it. And, and that's, that's kind of the way we roll. Uh, if you missed Prophecy Update on Friday night, you can watch it on YouTube or on our website. But um, it's kind of a way to say, here's how you look at when Jesus says, watch, be sober, be vigilant. Um, this is the kind of thing that we're supposed to do as a Christian church. Uh, and so we did that on Friday night, uh, and that's been good. And then today, I'd like to continue this study of Matthew 24. But one of the things that um, we start with is Matthew 24, uh, 44. Let's just take a look, and this is, this is kind of the main thing we talked about last week as well. Matthew 24, 44. Jesus said, therefore, question, when the word's therefore there, what do you gotta look for? What is therefore? Therefore what? Well, from what? Well, the whole discuss discussion about end times and last days, therefore, Jesus says, because of all that, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. <laughs> be ready. Um, readiness, in case something happens, watching, waiting. You know, one of the things that uh, I'm noticing all the pundits are talking about this morning is, are we ready for a missile attack in America? Um, because China flew a big giant balloon over our country and started over up in Alaska and flew over Alaska. It has all this high-tech camera equipment and stuff. We talked about this. Um, and then it flew over Montana, over some of our military uh, nuclear silos and over Colorado and over all the way. To, and, and then they finally shot it down as it reached the Atlantic. 
Um, good thing, boy, quick reaction there to that balloon. Um, <laughs> like, it makes you wonder, like, why did we let them get all their spy information and then shoot it down? Um, that's just funny to me. Uh, not a, so people are asking the question this morning, China's all mad, by the way, that we shot down their balloon um, today. That's funny news to me. Um, but, but are we really ready for like a missile attack? We can't even like get a balloon that's slowly <laughs> floating across the country. You know, it's like, hmm, I don't know, just, just something to worry about a little bit. Um, but, but ready, you know, one of the things we have to be as Christians is watching, ready, waiting for, I believe the next thing on the list is the rapture of the church. Well, Brett, that's your opinion. I don't even know if I believe in the rapture and, and I, I don't even know about, you know, this next thing on the list. Well, see, this is where I wanted to kind of talk about the various views of end times Bible prophecy. And this will help us in our study of Matthew 24. And I'd like to kind of spend a little time comparing some of these views just so you can know what you're hearing. And, and um, one of the things I always like to remind people is this should be a friendly discussion. And oftentimes it's not, sad to say. It's okay to defend your position. And I love talking about the different views um, and stuff like that. But I've noticed that it's become more mean-spirited as time goes by. But really the truth is there's millennial people that I really like. I like some millennials, and I listen to some of their Bible teaching because they're really good. It's just that we disagree on the way the end times are gonna roll out. And it should be a friendly in-house discussion. It's the difference between the essential doctrines of the Christian faith versus the non-essentials. Now, when I say non-essentials, it doesn't mean that they're not important. It just means that it doesn't put you outside of Christianity. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross uh, for your sins, that's an essential doctrine. We just sang some essential doctrine, that God is a, a, a three-part being, the Holy Trinity. Well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. True, but still, we believe the Trinity, and it's an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. Um, those are some of the essentials, um, but not essential stuff, or do you speak in tongues? If a person doesn't speak in tongues or doesn't believe in tongues, guess what? They can still go to heaven and still be saved. What if a person speaks in tongues? Same, they still can go to heaven and be saved. Like that's a non-essential issue. We don't put a church that speaks in tongues outside of the pale of orthodoxy or, uh, or what have you. Like there's, there's um, and eschatology or the study of end times is in that category of, of the non-essentials, but it is really important and it does change the way you live your life and view your life and the future. And I believe it is an important study. And if you claim to teach the Bible, uh, you have to deal with the issue of end times and what the Bible has to say about prophecy. Um, so I'd like to show you a little bit, and if you guys are willing to do a little work, again, last week was kind of work, this week's gonna be work too. Are you guys game? Let's do it, here we go. Okay, so comparing the views. Uh, and, and this is all part of you know Jesus saying, be, therefore be ready for an hour you think not, that's when I'm coming. This is all part of being ready, I think, is knowing what the Bible teaches and maybe even um, understanding um, things about eschatology. And what's interesting to me is how much um, so many people just kind of blow this off and are um, sadly kind of ignorant concerning Bible prophecy because so many people, Churches today and pastors refuse to talk about it. Just by show of hands, just by front of it, because all of you, you know, perhaps some of you have come from other churches. How many of you guys have been a part of or attended other churches that never ever talked about Bible prophecy? Raise your hand. Wow, see, that's like more than half of you. Um, and that's kind of interesting to me. Uh, it kind of speaks of the days we're living. But, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, be not ignorant. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning, and then he goes on and talks about the rapture of the church. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Um, I would that you not be ignorant concerning Israel and the, the fullness of the Gentiles and then when all of Israel will be saved. 
Uh, that's talking about the church age moving into the tribulation age. Don't be ignorant about that. Uh, and yet, shockingly, I found that there's a lot of ignorance about that. And that's why we, uh, as we continue to go through the Bible, we're gonna see uh, what the Bible has to say. Now, when it comes to the various points of view, um, uh, we're gonna find out uh, that, uh, you know, as it turns out, there's three main sections. And boy, you could go crazy talking about all of them. Um, but I'm gonna give you kind of the big ones and the overarching general themes here. Um, and there's some fancy words, and you can jot them down or, or just kind of watch and listen, but, um, but this is kind of the important part. First, we're gonna talk about the view that is often referred to as premillennialism. Now, the word millennium, it's just, it just comes from an old word. It's not, again, not really in the Bible, but it's millennial is a thousand, but the, um, the uh, annual, annual uh, annals is a year. So uh, a thousand years is the word millennium. And so when it comes to this idea of pre-millennial, it means it's, we're talking about something happening before the thousand years. So the Bible talks about a thousand years uh, that's gonna happen. Re Re Revelation chapter 20 talks specifically about that thousand years. Other passages in the Bible talks about this millennial reign, this millennial kingdom. And, um, and so in some ways, I think all the main views believe in a millennium. The big question is, do you believe it literally or is it some figurative thing out there? That's kind of the big question. But the premillennialist, which I happen to be, and Athe Creek uh, stands by this, um, uh, along with a lot of others, by the way, it's not like our loon, uh, there's a lot of people that are premillennial. But um, <clears throat> the idea is that we believe that the second coming of Christ is gonna happen before the millennial kingdom. Premillennial is the, uh, the coming of Jesus. Um, and so that's kind of the biggest mark of premillennialism. So if you talk about when the millennium is gonna be, the thousand years, you know, you have the cross there. That's when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven. And then we live in that church age right now, the church age, which is kind of the cross. Uh, but there's something that's gonna happen, I believe, before the second coming uh, that ends the church age. Um, and that's the rapture of the church. As a premillennialist, uh, I believe, as a pre-trib, uh, I'll talk about that in a second, uh, premillennialist, I'll, uh, I'll show you kind of how that rolls out. But the next thing you need to know is we um, believe, the premillennialist believes the tribulation period, now I've represented these two things the same length. The millennium's a thousand years, but the tribulation is actually seven years. We'll, we'll go over that here in a bit. But, um, so in premillennialism, we all kind of agree that this is the way it's gonna happen. The next thing on the list of things to do is the rapture of the church. Um, that's what we watch for. We watch for Jesus. We look for Jesus. The premillennial view looks for Jesus. All the other views, you have to look for the Antichrist or you have to look for, like, for the world to get better or you have to usher in the kingdom. Like We have to do more and more. The premillennial view, and especially the pre-trib view, is the only view that says we're looking for Jesus. Uh, that's what we keep our eyes on because that's the next thing that's gonna happen. And that's why we call ourselves pre-trib. At Athey Creek, we're pre-trib. That's before the tribulation. That's where the rapture of the church happens. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. Um, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Uh, the Greek word, uh, you know, there for caught up. We'll get into that uh, in a second because people get all in a tizzy about the word rapture. But um, in premillennialism, there's, there's three main views or maybe four main views of when the rapture is gonna happen. Our view is pre-trib. Another view that is widely held is the mid-trib or also called pre-wrath. Um, and and they're, they're di little slightly different, mid-trib and pre-wrath. Um, the pre-wrath argument argues that before the wrath of God is poured out, 
in the tribulation, the rapture of the church is gonna happen. A very legitimate view. Um, I don't agree with it, but it's a formidable view and I understand why people think that. And especially because we are not appointed unto wrath. The tribulation period is called the time of the wrath of the lamb. It makes sense if you're a Christian who reads your Bible and understand God's heart, he pulls out people before the wrath comes down. Ask Lot and his family. Um, Ask Enoch before the flood. There's people that were pulled out before the wrath actually happens. And that's, uh, you know, does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? The Bible says no. And so I believe the church is gonna be raptured before the tribulation, which is called the time of the wrath of the lamb. The pre-wrath or mid-trib people say, well, the wrath's not really gonna be poured out until the second half. And and I'll show you why they say that uh, in a minute. Um, And then the third view is the post-trib rapture. Um, And that's at the end of the tribulation um, uh, at the same time of the second coming. That one makes the least amount of sense to me personally. And I've, uh, by the way, I, I was taught as a child of pre-trib, premillennial eschatology. And you say, well, you just believed it ever since then. Well, as it turns out, when I turned out 17 or 18, I, I, I realized, wow, I've been taught this as a child. Is this even true? And I really did with a, a skeptical eye and, uh, and took years and years to study the various views of eschatology. And um, I, as it turns out, I landed solidly back on pre-trib, pre-millennial. Uh, that's, that's where I, I really believe the Bible teaches. Brett, you've never taught all the views before. True, I don't like teaching the other views because I don't believe in them. Uh, does that make sense? Like, why would I argue points I think are not uh, really what I believe? But I am showing you so that you can kind of understand what other people are saying, I guess is kind of the thing. The post-trib view doesn't make sense to me because why are we raptured? Because the second coming of Christ, we're gonna return with Christ. Uh, we're gonna return with 10,000s of his saints. That's us coming down. Uh, uh, but then why are we raptured? It's like yo-yo eschatology. Oh, rapture, whoa, back down, back to the earth. Uh, that's, uh, I see a purpose for a pre-trib rapture. We're taking up, meet Jesus. The, the rapture, by the way, is not a coming. Uh, the first coming was when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The second coming is gonna be at the end of the tribulation before the millennial kingdom. That's when Christ returns, puts his foot down on Mount of Olives. He rules and reigns from Jerusalem, a whole new thing in the world, uh, Christ ruling and reigning. Uh, so that's the second coming. The rapture is a, a, a more of a, a meeting. We will meet him in the air, the Bible says. And I believe that's where we go up and celebrate our, the marriage feast of the lamb for, for the seven years of tribulation on earth. Who knows what it'll feel like in heaven. It could be 7,000 years in heaven. A day with the Lord is what? As a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. We're gonna be with the Lord after the rapture of the church. We'll be with them, but eventually we'll re- return back uh, with him on his second coming. I'll show you that later too. Um, so the pre-trib makes perfect sense to me, especially when you look at a Jewish wedding and the seven days of celebration. There's all kinds of links and reasons. By the way, there, I, if you're wondering about the argument for pre-trib, I did a whole teaching, even not that long ago, I forget when that was, but um, you can look it up on our website and find the teaching. Why I, I think I gave like 10 reasons I'm a pre-tribber. Um, but those are, among pre-millennialism, those are the three main views, or, or you know, uh, three and a half. Pre-trib, mid-trib, or pre-wrath, and post-trib, that's kind of the view. And there's a lot of good Christian people, pastors you know and love um, that believe in this. I think uh, John MacArthur's a pre-trib, pre-millennial. Um, I think uh, Jay Vernon McGee was a pre-trib, pre-millennial. Like there's a lot of people that you'll know and love that, that actually believe these things. Um, the next group of people, and, and we, I kind of start with a similar um, timeline. This is the post-millennial view. 
And these are the things we kind of agree on right here is, you know, there's Jesus came, there's a time period, and there's a second coming. Uh, and the, the post-millennials believe in a second coming. They just put it at the same time of the last judgment. And by the way, all of these views, I'm showing you how the, after the last judgment, either go to heaven, the crown, kingdom forever, or um, uh, the lake of fire. I've got the flames there just for dramatic effect. Uh, you go north or south. Uh, hopefully you're all headed north and you're saved. That's a major uh, key in this whole thing. But the post-millennialist puts the, the last judgment and the second coming of Christ at the same time. And, and the reason they say post-millennial is because they believe the second coming of Christ is after the millennium. Uh, now, now the, here's a big difference between pre-millennial and post-millennial. Um, I would say most post-millennials don't believe in a literal 1,000 years. Um, post-millennium, uh, not necessarily. There's some that do believe in a literal thousand years, but um, not, not necessarily all of them believe in a literal thousand years. Those who hold this view don't interpret um, uh, unfulfilled prophecy using normal literal methods. Um, they don't take Bible prophecy as much literally. And like Revelation 20 uh, and the... And the um, the thousand years that are talked about there, they, they don't take literally. They believe the thousand years means a long period of time. Um, and by the way, I would argue they believe that because they kind of have to, because a thousand years has come and gone since the time of Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven. It's been almost, uh, well, you know, 2000, it's been 2,000 years. And so, um, and so they say, well, it's just a long period of time and we're just waiting for the, the second coming and it's not a literal thousand years. Uh, and, and here's the thing that you should know about post-millennialism. Um, society needs to progressively improve for the second coming of Christ. Now, I don't know why you guys are laughing about that. Um, uh, I think the reason that people laugh about that is it's not looking good right now. Um, things are not improving. And, and see, the pre-millennialism, we believe things are gonna get worse before the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ because we really see the Bible talking about that. In the last days, Paul said, perilous times will come. And then that list that Paul gives is pretty much describing the day that we're, we're living in right now. And, and um and so, you know, this, this view, and you'll hear, they're, they're very, you gotta give them credit. The post-millennialists are very optimistic. Uh, things are looking better, you know, and they, they even say that today. Um, but uh, it's a little hard to say that with a straight face these days. But so the, the post-millennialism sort of wants to Christianize the world or us. There's kind of the doctrine of kingdom now or dominion theology where we, we are gonna usher in the kingdom. And they believe the kingdom can't really come until we make the world a better place and set it up so that Christ can come and rule and reign. That's very different than premillennialism. Postmillennialism, uh, society progressively improves. That's kind of a big deal. Now, last week I talked about preterism uh, and the not taking biblical prophecy as uh, future, but as history. Uh, there's nothing prophetic in the Bible anymore. It's all history. And um, I, I'll show you something that's part of post-millennialism is many of them believe the tribulation's already happened and it ended in AD 70 when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Which the reason I, I remind us of that is it changes the whole way you interpret the whole chapter that we're in right now. Matthew 24, if you believe that Matthew 24 has already taken place and it's already history, then it changes the whole way you look at this chapter. When you agree, it's like, yeah, it's already happened. Check that box. Um, and that's why people don't even read Matthew 24 anymore in some circles because it's already happened. It's history, ancient history. So the preterist view particularly puts the tribulation right after Jesus died on the cross, 
A few years later was the tribulation, seven years of tribulation and then the destruction of the temple. And we're living in a sort of this uh, kingdom now sort of uh, idea. And that's the post-millennial view. The, the, the third group is the amillennial group. Um, and like post-millennialism, I, I have friends and good Christian you know, pastors and teachers that are amillennialists. Um, and what is amillennial? Well, well, pre means the, the, the um, second coming comes before the millennium. Post-millennial says the second coming's after the millennial kingdom. But amillennialism, uh, you know, sometimes I think it's wrongly said that the word ah in the, in the breaking down of linguistics means no, millennial. Um, and that may not be fair to the amillennialists. I would say no literal millennial kingdom is, is maybe a better idea. The amillennialist sees the thousand years as a spiritual and non-literal as opposed to a physical understanding of history. Although the prefix ah, a, is always a, negata- negata- a negation of a word, um, it seems that the, they believe the millennium has been more realized already um, and explained as the millennium now. They believe we're living in the millennial kingdom now. And so I put a faint little red line there because they don't believe at all in a literal. There's not, there, you know, post-millennialism, some people believe in a literal, but most believe in uh, not literal. But all of amillennialism says it's just merely a symbolic sort of uh, millennium. And, uh, and so they're similar to post-millennial, but, um, but the difference is there's no literal. But they also, many of the amillennialists believe the tribulation's already happened, and AD 70 was the end of the tribulation period. Um, and, and so, um, like I said, good, and I wanna, I wanna try to keep it friendlier. Like, uh, Vody Bakum is a amillennialist who I very much like. I like Vody, good, good Bible pastor, teacher. Uh, I like Vody, but he's an amillennialist. Uh, and so we disagree on the way he believes we're living in the kingdom right now. Um, by the way, uh, as good as Vody is, um, his, that does shape a little bit of his worldview. Um, and, uh, and you'll see that about our eschatology. A lot of these pastors, you'd never really know what their end times, Vody's bold about his end times uh, teaching. But, um, but a lot of these pastors don't even let you know really what they believe, but you, it, it seeks, uh, sort of seeps out in their teaching in other ways. Um, like for example, the post-millennial view um, tends to be very political. A lot of the Christian nationalism you see today, where we gotta usher in the kingdom by electing Christian officials, that's part of that thing where things are gonna get better and hopefully we elect the right people so Christ can come back. And you see that in sort of the teaching. A lot of those guys kind of teach that way. Uh, something just to kind of be aware of. But back to, I'm gonna go back to premillennialism because this is really what Athe Creek and what I believe is what the Bible teaches. And, and I'm just admitting, I have a huge bias toward this because I, I see the Bible teaching this. Now, in, in our defense, let me just tell you, there's, there's a major group, and this is noteworthy, there's a major group of, of pastors that teach premillennial, pre-tribulational teaching, and I'll tell you who they are. There's one huge distinctive, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book teaching. If you show me a church that's going verse by verse through the Bible, oftentimes, more often than not, maybe almost, all, almost always, um, it's a pre-tribulational, tribulational, premillennial view. And the reason why is this is the one that's easiest to teach if you're going verse by verse through the Bible. The other ones, good luck. Because it's a massive uh, tangled web that's hard to to reconcile from one scripture to another. And you have to jumble up, like the book of Revelation, you have to throw it in a box and jumble up all the verses and re-switch them around. Pre-tribulational, post-millennial view 
takes the book of Revelation exactly as it's laid out and it, and it spells out the order of events in the book of Revelation to be pre-trib, pre-millennial. Um, I think that's a huge argument in favor of pre-tribulational, pre-millennial. Um, it'd be really hard to teach the Bible with um, uh, verse by verse with some of those other views. I think the hardest one is the post-millennial view, honestly. Uh, and then the amillennial view kind of, uh, you, you just fly through a lot of the, uh, the scriptures that you'd think were uh, more just um, allegorical or uh, types or pictures and what have you. So that's, that's the main thing. Those are the three big views uh, and it has to do with when you believe the second coming of Christ is. Um, now let's go over this list because Jesus is gonna touch this back to our scripture, Matthew 24, 44, therefore be ready. In order to be ready, it's helpful to know what's coming and to know sort of the order of events, to ready ourselves. Um, so in doing what Jesus asked us to do, let's take a look. I'm gonna go through kind of the list of that, of that uh, as we're gonna see it here in the Bible of, of the pre-trib, pre-millennial view. The first thing, or I should say the next thing that needs to happen um, is the rapture of the church. Um, and uh, I say it needs to happen. Uh, there's other things that could happen in Bible prophecy before the rapture of the church, but nothing needs to happen before the rapture of the church. Does that make sense? For example, let's talk about uh, you Bible prophecy buffs, Ezekiel 38. Could that happen before the rapture of the church? I believe it could. Uh, the attack of Gog, Magog, Russia, and Turkey, and Iran, and Syria attacking Israel. Uh, the players are in place right now for that, by the way, if you're, if you're not following world events. The Gog, Magog invasion is postured very much right now. It could happen tomorrow. Um, but the rapture of the church could happen tonight. Or Gog, Magog could happen tomorrow, and the rapture of the church could happen next week. But I'm just saying that the rapture is the next thing that we really look for and we watch and are ready for. Would you keep your finger here and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter four? Because um, there's plenty of scriptures, by the way, that talk about the rapture of the church. Um, you know, as you're turning there, by the way, uh, you know, remember what, what Jesus talked about um, uh, when he said, you know, uh, let not your heart, John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. Um, and then he said, and, and um, he said, and I'm gonna come again, uh, and where I am, there you may be also. Um, I believe that's Jesus talking about when he comes and takes his church, his bride, to his house that he's been preparing. Uh, again, the Jewish wedding is an amazing picture there, but but probably the rapture of the church is most clearly spelled out here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Um, I'd like you to, for a second, erase chapter 5 delineation. Just, just read it as it would have been a letter to the Thessalonican church. The chapter breaks sometimes divide things up, un, unfortunately, um, and we sort of miss the point. So let's just kind of read through this and hear what Paul is saying. It's 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll start there in verse 13. Uh, Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant. There it is. Don't be dumb about this stuff. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, or, you know, dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or proceed is a, is a better translation there, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of, an arch- of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up. Mark that word, caught up there, important. Uh, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Once the rapture of the church happens, we will be with the Lord from that day forward forevermore. That's a, that sounds like a good time to me. Um, Wherefore, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write you. Now, pause for a second. Um, This is where chapter five kind of changes gears, it seems, but the letter just goes on. It said the rapture of the church, something we can comfort one another with these words. But then he says, but I don't even need to write you of the times and seasons. Why? Because Jesus talked about what the times and seasons would look like in Matthew 24. Um, He gave us a list of things to watch and see and be ready and sober, vigilant looking, watchmen on the wall. Those are the kind of themes of the Bible that we have over and over and over again, that we're, we're the Christians. We're the ones that are not ignorant about the days and the times and the seasons. We won't know the day or the hour. That's clear from Matthew 24, but we will know the times and seasons. Jesus helped us with that in Matthew 24, but let's read on. Verse one of chapter five, but of the times and seasons, brethren, You have no need that I write unto you for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, by the way, this thief in the night, it's coming to the person who doesn't know the Lord, the thief part. Um, And notice how he says that. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they, not us, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, Christian church, you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep in the night, they that be drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, For God, verse nine, hath not appointed us to wrath. What's the the tribulation period also called? The time of the wrath of the lamb. Revelation six calls it that. It's the time where God's wrath is poured out on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's what the tribulation period is. Um, But we are not appointed unto wrath, verse nine, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, if we're alive or dead, we shall live together with him. Wherefore, Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also as you do. This is all the doctrine, the teaching of the rapture of the church. When it says caught up there in verse 17 of chapter four, the Greek word there is the word harpazo, which means to seize, to carry off by force, to claim for oneself eagerly, or to snatch out or away. That's this word harpazo. If you get your old Latin Vulgate translation out, which I'm sure all of you have on your shelf at home, um, the Latin translation actually uses the Latin word um, uh, rapturo. Um, uh, there's, another, uh, there, there's another way, by the way, of explaining or def- uh, saying that word, um, rapimir. Um, but, um, but as it turns out, this is where we get our word rapture in the English. And that's where the idea of the rapture came from. Um, by the way, <clears throat> a lot of the amillennial guys will say, our view of end times is the oldest view uh, of end times uh, ever. The idea of the rapture of the church and pre-trib, pre-millennial is fairly new. And I'll say, exactly. 
That's right. Um, but one of the things that we shouldn't let that bother us by is because the Bible says as the day approaches, as we get closer and closer, we'll understand what the Bible is saying better and better. It's one of the few things, doctrine doesn't change, and, and I love that about theology, the Bible doesn't change, except for in the area of understanding the end times. Remember Daniel said, I don't understand my book, and, and the, the Lord tells Daniel, well, seal up the words, you're not gonna understand it, seal up the words to the end. Um, and then at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, Revelation, do not seal up the words of this book. And as we get closer to the day approaching, the Bible says we'll start to understand and see how it all fits together. Um, I, I probably would have been an amillennialist 500 years ago, honestly, because everything does seem figurative. Israel's not even a nation. They hadn't been for 1,500 years. Um, and the, all these literal prophecies about the nation Israel, I'd be like, yeah, that's gotta be figurative. Israel, they don't even speak Hebrew anymore in the world. Uh, I would have thought, yeah, amillennialism. But once Israel in 1948 becomes a nation again and starts fulfilling Bible prophecy after Bible prophecy, we should have said, wait a minute, uh, maybe we should take this stuff a little more literally. And the pre-trib, pre-millennial view takes Bible prophecy literally. Um, and I think it's very rewarding. It explains a lot. I think one of the things people, you know, pastors have asked me, Brett, you know, how do, why do you do Bible prophecy updates once a month? Um, and one pastor said, how do you get enough material for once a month? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I could do it every day and we'd be busy just watching what's going on in the world today. And uh, there's a lot, but um, I don't want to overemphasize prophecy update stuff. And I think once a month health, healthy for us for now. But, um, but um, the thing that's interesting about that is um, I think what prophecy does when you really study it, rather than the doom and gloom as some people think, it's actually quite comforting Bible prophecy updates, people think, oh, you're talking about the end of the world. Yeah, but when you realize things are not falling apart, they're actually falling into place. It gives you a great peace. And that's what Paul's telling here in Thessalonica church. He's saying, wherefore, comfort yourselves together because the rapture of the church is coming. He's gonna take us out before the wrath of God is poured out on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He says it twice in that uh, passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter four and five. Um, so that's kind of a key mention, by the way, uh, that we're to comfort one another with these words. So um, how do we do that? We remind each other uh, that the rapture is coming, that we, the Lord's gonna come quickly. Jesus died on, on the cross for our sins and uh, we have the hope of heaven. So that's a gl glorious thing. So the first thing, the, I should say, the next thing on the list of things to do, I think prophetically, is the rapture of the church. Um, by the way, we as pre-trib, pre-millennial, we're looking for Jesus. Um, the other views, you're looking for other things. You're looking for Antichrist. You're looking for um, the temple to be re rebuilt in Jerusalem. You're looking for uh, the Gog-Magog war or like whatever. There's a bunch of other things you're looking for. The pre-trib, pre-millennial view is the one that's really saying we're looking for the return of Jesus and the rapture of the church. That's kind of the next thing on the list. So rapture, number one. Number two, the tribulation period. After the rapture of the church, the tribulation kicks into gear. Seven-year period. Uh, Jesus will talk about this period in Matthew 24, and I'll show you that here in a second, where Jesus talks about the tribulation period. Uh, uh, and he's gonna even mention Daniel the prophet in relation to the tribulation period. Some of the uh, various people have said, Brett, I don't know that I believe the tribulation's actually seven years. Um, where do we get the idea of seven years? Because it doesn't really say seven years, tri tribulation period. Just, uh, but you look at the rest of the Bible and you start to see that it adds up to seven years. 
Um, uh, minimally, you can prove that it's three and a half years times two because <laughs> uh, the book of Revelation tells us that, uh, that it's, the tribulation is gonna be three and a half years, there's a big event in the middle, and then another three and a half years, and that's the tribulation. And if you wanna read about the tribulation, it's Revelation chapter six through 19 that, that talks about that period. But probably the most convincing, if you ask me, uh, de definition of the tribulation period is it takes a little work to understand, but it's from Daniel chapter nine. And I wanna show you that again before we go to what Jesus says about the tribulation in Matthew 24, because this will really help us understand what Jesus is talking about. And so you kinda gotta go to Daniel nine. Would you flip over to Daniel? Now, if you were with us way back in 2021, we went over this. So this is review for many of you. How many of you guys were here back when we were going through Daniel? Raise your hands. Okay, about half of you. That's amazing to me. Um, but uh, it's gonna be helpful to kind of go over this. I'm gonna try to go over this quickly as much as I can. Um, you have the 70 weeks of Daniel. This is a famous prophecy uh, of the Bible called the 70 weeks. Now, there's a couple quick rules I'm gonna give you. First of all, when we say weeks, we think of uh, a week of seven days. The Hebrew word here is Shabua, which is translated as seven, but uh, not of days, but a heptad is the word that is, uh, which means seven years. So when it's the 70 weeks of Daniel, we're talking about 70, seven-year periods. Um, and that, that can be confusing if you're just starting out with this, but I wanted to get that uh, out first and foremost. So we're talking about... Um, What's 70 times seven, anybody? 490 years. So let's talk about this, the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter nine, verse 24 is where we'll pick it up. So Daniel receives a, a letter from, or a, a, a vision from Gabriel the angel himself. And Gabriel speaks this and says in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now question, who's Daniel's people? The Jews, what's his holy city? That's the key in understanding. This prophecy is about the Jews and about Jerusalem. Keep that in mind, because some people try to put other people in this prophecy, and it's not about them. It's about Jews and Jerusalem. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to, um, now quickly, this is Reader Digest. We're gonna explain the millennial kingdom here in this next part of the verse. What's the millennial kingdom gonna look like? Remember. Um, the people that are uh, post-millennial believe we're in the millennial kingdom right now. And amillennialism figuratively thinks we're sort of in the millennial kingdom. But this is Daniel's description of the millennial kingdom. It says here, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. See, the preterist view is that prophecy's already sealed up. And we're often, they say, we're living in the millennial kingdom right now. If that's true, I'm really depressed. Because this is what the millennial kingdom is. An end of sin, does that sound pretty good? In the millennial kingdom, there'll be an end of sin. You sinned on the way to church. And so did I. Because uh, I went over 55 miles per hour and I did it with glee. I mean, we're, you know, the, 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 the millennial kingdom is gonna be a time where it says, look at this, an end of sin and bringing in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy, which hasn't been sealed up yet. So Daniel's saying there's 77 year periods or 490 years that's gonna happen that's determined upon the Jews in Jerusalem before this millennial kingdom gets kicked into gear uh, to anoint the most holy. Uh, the, by the way, the millennial kingdom is when Jesus 
is gonna be anointed as king in Jerusalem. So that's that description. Verse 25, then it gets complicated. Check it out. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild or build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks or 62. Um, and it says the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And then after the three score and two weeks uh, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, or better translated, prince of the people, and notice it's not a capital P. We're talking about a bad ruler here, a, a guy that's not a good dude. The, the prince of the people shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he, this prince of the people, bad guy, shall confirm a covenant or a treaty uh, with many for one week. How long is one week in this context? Seven years. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause sacrifice and oblation to cease for the overspreading of abominations. He shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Huh? What? Uh, people get confused. It's, it's really not that bad. Though. Let's break it down here. 70 weeks determined upon the Jews and upon Jerusalem, a 490-year period. The first time delineation, is, it says there in verse 25, uh, the, time to, the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah, the Prince, shall be. And then it, bro it breaks it down into two chunks. The first chunk is seven weeks, which is seven times uh, seven, which is 49 years, okay? Uh, the seven weeks, and we're gonna call those the restoration years to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's how long it took, by the way, for them when the, the commandment came, uh, March 14th, 445 BC, the commandment came by uh, Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So check off that first 49 years, and then it says, and after that, there'll be 60 or you know, three score and two weeks, or 62 sevens, and um, that's what we call the silent years. After the temple was restored and rebuilt by Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel and the gang, um, then there was what we call the silent years, or as part of it was the intertestamental years, the silent years. 434 years, or 62 sevens, uh, a part of this. So, so far, we've, we've got the first 69 weeks dealt with. Uh, out of the 70, we're missing a final week. And that's this little sliver at the end. But before I talk about that, notice with me, though, out of the 490, now we're talking about the 69 weeks, 483 years. Are you guys still with me on this? Uh-oh, okay, three of you, good. Okay. <laughs> we're talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, the, the, the 70th week of this is, is really important. And that's what verses 26 and 27 is talking about. What's gonna happen in that last final week of the 70 weeks of Daniel? Um, and you say, okay, Brett, wait, first of all, I'm confused. Uh, Jesus hasn't come back yet and the kingdom of God's not here, but you said it was 490 years. Well, see, this is where the 70th week, there's a variable or a gap between them what happened? It says in our verse, uh, verse 26, after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off. And that's what happened. This is where this, this Daniel 70 week prophecy is so interesting. You remember there when in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 and 42, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem weeping and he said, oh, Jerusalem, if thou hast known even at, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to your peace, um, but how they are hidden from your eyes. What was Jesus talking about when he said, you should have known this very day. How would they have known the day? The answer, 
the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. They could have calculated it out. March 14th, um, 445 BC, commandment to restore the rebuild Jerusalem. And if you perfectly calculate it out, and by the way, you gotta use the Jewish calendar, lunar calendar, not a Gregorian calendar, and count for leap year and all that stuff. Uh, by the way, Sir Robert Anderson uh, wrote a book back in, the, I think it was the 1700s or maybe 1800s, I forget, about this whole calculation. That was figured out a long time ago. But they could have known April 6th, AD 32, would be the time when Jesus would ride the little donkey into Jerusalem. That's why Jesus was saying, you should have known this day. But they didn't study Bible prophecy. So they missed it. That's why Jesus said that. So, so then the Messiah was cut off. When they, when they crucified Jesus, you know, that he rode in Jerusalem, and then a, like a few days later, they said, crucify him, we will not have this man rule over us. And they crucified Jesus the Messiah. Stop the stopwatch for Israel and Jerusalem because they rejected the Messiah. And then you've got this gap. And the gap between that and the seven-year period is what we call the church age or also known in the Bible as the age of the Gentiles. The Jews largely are blind. Read Romans 9, 10, 11, talks about that. Uh, the, the Jews will be brought back. The, the Lord has a plan for the Jews, but it's gonna be in the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel when the Jews will finally see that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and we have here the church age. Now, question, where was the church in the first 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy, anybody? Non-existent, the church didn't exist in the first 69 weeks. And where is the church in the last 70th week of Daniel? We're raptured, we're taken out. See, the, the, the post-trib or even the mid-trib view requires that you and I dabble in the 70 weeks of Daniel and we're part of that. Um, I believe this is one of the great indications that the church was not in the first 69 weeks. Why then would God have his church, the Gentile age, um, why would he have them go in any part of that 70th week of Daniel? It makes no sense if you ask me. Um, so that's kind of the focal point here. This, this 70th week, the seven-year period, we also call it the tribulation period. And then Daniel gives us some more detail when he says he, this, this world leader, we, we know this to be the Antichrist, this prince of the people who's gonna make a treaty, a covenant with the, the, the Jews, um, it says here. But in the midst of that week, in the middle of that week, something happens. And uh, by the way, in, the, in the, the breaking of three and a half years and three and a half years, that's the way the book of Revelation handles it, not just in the terms of years, but even specifically days. The book of Revelation divides it up. But what's he gonna do? In the midst of that week, he's gonna cause the sacrifice to cease in the temple in Jerusalem that'll be rebuilt uh, by this time. And he's gonna commit what Daniel calls here the overspreading of abominations to make it desolate. What is that? Well, that's where this term, the abomination of desolation comes from. It's a thing that's gonna happen in the middle of the tribulation period, and we would call that the abomination of desolation. And the reason that's an important event, the Jews during the tribulation are gonna be duped by the world leader, Antichrist, and think he's really cool, finally a good leader, you know, kind of thing. But it'll be at this point where the Jews, their eyes will be opened, the blindness will be lifted off, and they'll realize that Jesus is the Messiah. Once they see this Antichrist character in his fullness, they'll realize that Jesus is the Messiah. That's where the Jews are gonna be saved during the tribulation period. But, it, but a, after this, it's gonna kinda go crazy. Uh, does that make sense to you guys, what Daniel's nine, 70 weeks uh, talk, talks about? The reason that's important is because let's go back to Matthew 24 now. 
And I wanna show you what Jesus has to say about this. Um, and this is just us kind of bouncing around Matthew 24 and 25, but we'll, we'll look at this more in context uh, Wednesday night. But it's, um, it's Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Uh, by the way, Jesus, in verses one through 14, Jesus is um, you know, talking about what's gonna lead up to this time period, the tribulation period. But now he's gonna talk about the tribulation period. When he starts in verse 15, he says, when you therefore shall see uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, the temple, whoso readeth, let him understand. In other words, this might take a little study on your part, which you guys are doing right now. Um, then, verse 16, let them which be in the Judea flee in the mountains. Who's he talking to here? The Jews, during what time period? The tribulation period, because that's what's gonna happen, the abomination of desolation. They're supposed to flee to the mountains. We'll talk about where that is on Wednesday night. Let, let him, verse 17, which is on the housetop, not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to those that give suck in those days, but pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, Mark that, when's great tribulation? <clears throat> After the abomination of desolation, that's when the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus is describing the last three and a half years and he calls that the great tribulation. Um, now that's important as it relates to our timeline of events. So right now we have the abomination of desolation. So remember, we had number one, the rapture of the church, next thing on the list. Uh, number two, the tribulation period. After the rapture, that kicks in that seven-year period because the church is now gone. Remember Revelation eleven twenty-five: When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all of Israel will be saved. Um, it's, it's the timeline. Uh, so you got the abomination of desolation, but then I will also mark number four, you've got the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years. You could call the whole thing the tribulation, but the last three and a half years is great tribulation. This is, by the way, why some of the pre-wrath or mid-trib people believe the rapture is gonna happen in the middle. Uh, again, I don't agree with that, just because of one of the reasons is Daniel 70 weeks that I just showed you. We're not in the 70 weeks of Daniel. But the great tribulation is gonna be worse than any other time in the history of the world. There's been some pretty bad times in the history of the world. Uh, I, I would hope that, that none of you are gonna be there during this time. And the way you do that is to become a Christian so that you're raptured, so that you're not there. But this great tribulation, again, back to our little timeline here of the seven years, that's the way it's gonna shake out. The last three and a half years is the great tribulation. And then that brings us to number five, after the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, that, when, th when everybody's hanging by a thread and the world's just totally in chaos and the battle of Armageddon, by the way, kicks into gear, the last battle the Bible talks about, then that ushers in the second coming of Jesus. Um, and again, that's why we're, um, we believe that Jesus is gonna come uh, before the millennial kingdom, but after the tribulation period, or at the end, I should say, of the tribulation period. Um, and um, notice Jesus is gonna talk about that. Would you, would you look here ahead again in Matthew uh, 24? And this is where Jesus is gonna describe in verse 29. He, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from, fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Pause for a second. Does this sound a little more global or is this just Jerusalem being talked about here? 
Remember, there's some people that say this whole chapter is talking about AD 70 when Jerusalem was conquered. I want you to kind of be sensitive to the fact that when you read this, um, when Jesus talks, he's talking about a global worldwide situation. That's something to kind of take into account. That's why we believe this still is a future prophecy. Um, the, the world, the heaven's gonna be shaken, verse 30, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, has this happened yet? Did the Jesus come back in the second coming uh, in AD 70? No, that's why we, we, you can't take Matthew 24 as AD 70. It's, just, it's really uh, short-sighted if you ask me. This is gonna be the second coming of Christ, which sounds very much like Revelation 19, verses 11 through 14, when, when at the end of the tribulation in, in Revelation, it says, I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, righteousness doth he make war, he says, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God, and the armies which were in heaven uh, followed him on white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who are the armies that are following Jesus in his second coming? Us, the people that died before, First uh, Thessalonians 4 and 5, and also those that were raptured. We get to return with him uh, with white linen. White linen speaks of purity. It's because we're gonna be purified and new bodies and old things are gonna be passed away. So all that to say, this is Jesus talking about the, the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, and the second coming of Christ right here in Matthew 24. And then the next thing that we have on the list of things to do, whoops, I, I didn't mean to put that up there. Uh, I just read that. Uh, but number uh, six is the millennial kingdom. And that's why we are pre-millennial because the, after the second coming of Christ, that's Jesus comes for the purpose of ruling and reigning in the millennial kingdom. If you're post-millennial, then why, you know, why did Jesus come? He's, it's very clear to me that Jesus is coming to take his proper place uh, in Jerusalem and rule and reign. Uh, you can read Revelation chapter 20 uh, when it talks about the millennial kingdom. And then after the thousand years, boy, we could talk about some of the nuances about Satan and what's gonna happen at the end of the millennial kingdom. I'm gonna resist that temptation to talk about that. Um, but then after the millennial kingdom comes the last judgment. And that's where, remember, we saw the arrows going to the kingdom or going to the flames. That's where um, the great white throne judgment, Re uh, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, talks about that. Uh, and then that's where people go to heaven or hell. But those that go to heaven, that's where there's another little bit here that you need to know about. After the last judgment, um, then there is the um, new heaven and new earth. Um, I just noticed we spelled judgment wrong there. We gotta fix that. Uh, <laughs> where is the t uh, spell check when you need it? Nobody noticed until I brought it up. We'll fix that for the 10 o'clock. The 10 o'clock people know, know no difference. Um, but uh, new heaven and new earth uh, is, is, is where the Lord is gonna create a new heaven and a new earth. Um, Isaiah, there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about this, but they're a little bit scattered through the Bible. Um, there's not a ton of in, information on the new heaven and the new earth. You can read about it in Revelation 21. Uh, but also places like Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Um, there's gonna be a whole new thing after uh, the Lord creates a new heaven. If you're into environmentalism 
or renewing resources and all that stuff, pray for the new heaven and the new earth. That's gonna be the best way to fix all the problems. Uh, the, the, the new heaven and new earth, Revelation 21, no more mourning, no more death, no more weeping uh, in Revelation 21, four. No more pain or curse, no more night. It'll only be sunny and daytime, but the sun will be the Lord himself shining brightly. Um, and there you have it. So th this is sort of the way the story unfolds uh, as you read your Bible. The end times timeline is, this is just what we went over. Um, and I believe this is um, what we can ready ourselves for and be praying about. Next thing on the list, rapture of the church. And that kicks in that 70th week of Daniel, which includes the tribulation period, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, and the second coming of Jesus will be right, right in that seven year period. Then you have the millennial kingdom, thousand years, the last judgment after that, and then a new heaven and new earth. And then we all live happily ever after. That's something to comfort one another with. As I see the world getting darker and gloomier, um, uh, I, I see that not as a bad thing. I see it as it's just signs of the times. And it gives me great hope uh, for the rapture of the church, but it also inspires me to preach the gospel. That's why anything, some people say, you pre-trib, pre-millennial people, you're just waiting for the rapture and you don't care about anybody. Well, that's a, a false narrative. Uh, we spend more time here at Athey talking about the gospel, baptizing people, sharing the good news of Jesus. Because of this, it inspires us to be busy about the work of the kingdom. And we'll see more of that on, uh, on Wednesday night as we go through the Matthew 24. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask your blessing on this time, Lord, that we've spent just kind of breaking down these uh, timelines and what your word lays out for us. And you tell us not to be ignorant. So we take this time and I pray that it somehow would bring good fruit in our lives. Um, perhaps the greatest fruit might be uh, that someone would desire to know you and be saved because apart from you, this list of things and events could be very ominous and even scary. But when we accept salvation and believe, um, we're so much better off knowing we have the future and a hope with you in heaven for all eternity. So Lord, for the unsaved, would you inspire them just to come to know you and repent of their sins and accept the good news of the, of the gospel. Uh, may all of us be busy about your work in the meantime, occupying until you come. So bless these, your people. We pray these, these things, Lord, knowing you've heard our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.